Good luck. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again. Oh, go pretty. That was magnificent stuff. Well, I shall not believe them. Marshall skips away. Marshall skips away. Marshall's still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats O'Davis on the outside. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast prepared to hang, draw and quarter the Cameron Smith statue outside Amy Park and send it to all corners of the Melbourne CBD as a warning to others. If you grapple tackle, we will punish you. I'm your host, Eamon Brown, and today on the show we'll be chatting about a possible Jason Taumalolo switch, ask if the Storm's thunder is turning into a high-pressure system, ponder what took a spicy zinger out of the Chooks' performance in round one, as well as tackle the idea of public player salaries. But before we get started, please, if you have time, rate and or review the show wherever you're listening to the podcast to ensure the lads are able to pay for their annual subscriptions to niche pornography magazines. Naked Amazonian Women Riding Tractors is an expensive weekly read, so please do rate the show and make us happy. And follow us on Twitter at the handle at Voluntary Tackle to keep up to date with our absurd rugby league views. But first, I'm joined in the Sports Best Friends studios by two men, who if they were Kevin Arnold and Paul Pfeiffer from the Wonder Years, at least one of them would have been able to get inside Winnie Cooper's pants. The first is Xander Risotto. <laughs> Welcome to you, sir. Thanks, mate. It's good to be back. Excellent to have you with us. And of course, the second is the Twitter versus arch nemesis. I speak of Media Watch Mario, of course. Thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, pleasure as always. Just on your mention of Cam Smith there, it's worth pointing out that after today, Australia has a new... Cam Smith, they can actually like one with a mullet and all, and much richer than than the um, cheating wrestling scumbag Cam Smith. Yeah, well, I assume you're referring to the golfer there, Mario, who I've come to love his mullet. I've also come to love his short game. Um, I know he's actually won me a little bit of money when he's won a few tournaments. What's he done recently? I haven't actually followed that. Just one. today, he won a, a, what I believe was the richest purse in golf's history, or something, which equated to five million Australian dollars in one go. Oof, he could finally afford that haircut. Apparently. He's got some spunk, and I don't mean that in the semen way. I just mean in terms of attitude and charisma. Uh, Xander, you're a big golf fan. Have you been keeping up to date with the career of the second Cameron Smith? No, no. And uh, yes, uh, for anyone out there, I'm not a big golf fan. I, I don't really consider it a sport. Does does he also cheat at golf? I assume he does. Every now and then he gets the caddy in a, in a pretty horrible grapple tackle <laughs> if he hits the wrong stroke. Look, how are we all feeling about our ladder predictions from last week? given the plague of upsets in round one. We might start with you, Mario. I think I'm feeling pretty decent. I, I, South will get better than they were. They looked like a bottom six team at, at best the other night, but they will be better with a couple of important players back, such as Luttrell. Um, obviously, Manly and Roosters did not look like grand finalists or anything like that last week, but Manly never do in round one. And I don't think you guys have a wonderful round one record in the past, do you either? No, we do tend to be sluggish starters, um, you know, and we come home with a wet sail and we win a few grand finals every now and again. Uh, looking forward to welcoming you back to that fold soon. Mario, it has been a little while between drinks. Oh, far too long. It's, you know, as a, but mind you, we've got that record of winning a grand final during every decade. So luckily this decade is long, has plenty to go. We've got plenty of time for Tommy to win us a few. That's actually a pretty good strike rate. I didn't know that stat. That's actually quite impressive because every club seems to have its doldrums, except, of course, for the Melbourne Storm because when they had their dip, 
they just decided to cheat the cap mercilessly. So that's how they kept themselves up the top. And they've done it ever since. Well done to Storm fans if you are listening. Uh, are you feeling a little bit shaky there, Mario, with that South's prediction? Obviously, you had them entrenched in the eight. They did look pretty ordinary round one. I mean, I had them in eighth and going out in the first round. But that being said, I, th- I think they'll be fine. As I said, that. They- a few teams didn't look great, but round one has traditionally... Last year was one of the first times I remember round one not really throwing up a million upsets. I think from memory, most people got six or seven out of eight, whereas this week, you know, a bunch of people getting one, two, three out of eight. Some maniacs got more. I'm not sure who they were. Um, but Well, well a, a smug alert, uh, Barrio. You are talking to a man here in Eamon Brown who got six from eight. Xander, <laughs> uh, shaky ground for you, mate, in terms of any of your predictions for the ladder after round one, would you like to reevaluate any? Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of reevaluating, uh, yeah, I, I do think it's a bit early to tell. Um, but uh, geez, I, I had a pretty shocking start to the to the round. I got to admit, I think I was four from eight uh, in the end. And you know, the one game that I, I think I did tip as an upset actually didn't go that way. So I think I tipped the Broncos to. I mean, I, I tipped the uh, uh, the Sharks to beat um, the Raiders, and and it was the one time the Raiders actually avoided the late fade and came home and won at the death. So yeah, I mean, when Matt Ikevalu had that ball and he had the whole game to win in front of him, I just knew. He would fuck it up. I just felt it. And that's a, that's a prediction of mine that's already gone wrong us. now because I said he was going to have a blinding year. He's just completely ruined it. That's right. <laughs> he found a way to miss every blade of grass right in front of him and be held up easily. feel about Kurt Capel, you know, managing to, you know, stick, stick something through the largest glory hole he's ever faced. Well, he's had plenty of practice, hasn't he, Mario, in terms of nailing stuff between the holes. Um, look, I'm a huge fan of Kurt Capewell, um, as was brought up on the last pod, actually. I think he's one of the buyers of the year, and I didn't know he could just slot snapshots with such ease. But I guess when you are a rugby league professional like Capewell is, you can do anything or stick it anywhere. Now, look, um, the only thing that I'm a little bit embarrassed about is the Gold Coast Titans, because I obviously had them missing the eight. I'm a little bit worried after their performance against the Parramatta Eels. They should have won that game. And I must say, I feel... Pretty stupid. Um, I haven't felt this stupid since I bet on the long-term sovereignty of the Ukraine at 3-1 to one on Sportsbet. I don't know if you guys want to uh, change any long-term predictions. Um, if you could change one, Mario, what would it be? Uh, I don't think I don't think any. I'm pretty happy with all of them. I, I would be shocked if you guys... you're a pretty stubborn man, aren't you? Well, that, yes. But I'd be surprised if not, neither of you wanted to change the Knights out of last place after their performance, whereas my last two positions went to the Bulldogs and the Cowboys, and I'm extremely happy. Look, i, I got to say, if I had to make a change, mine would be to move the Penrith Panthers to minor premiers. I think I had them sitting at two or three from memory. I had the Storm at the top. Given the Storm's litany of injuries, I think, and, and the way the Panthers played for me, I'd like to quickly move them up to first position. Uh, they were so dominant. I'd take the hat off there to Sean O'Sullivan as well. I thought he was quite brilliant. Did you guys uh, rate Sean's Yeah, he was excellent, I thought. And that performance as a whole, I, I just, I half thought that Manly could upset them um, without Nathan Cleary there because he's just such an immense presence. But they were, they were clinical. You don't often see a team come out with that kind of vigour in round one, uh, like it's a finals match. It's hard. I mean, look, they were very impressive given given missing their you know their best player and their halfback leader, all this sort of stuff. They were undeniably impressive. Manly, they didn't look atrocious at at any stage in the game I didn't think but they just never looked a particular danger to them and you know the only the only trial we got I, I would say was a pretty lucky one in the end although I 
did mention that Bullymore, I think, will get a you know a bunch of tries this year, 10, 11 Yeah, you weren't tries. wrong about that. He's, he's a good try scorer. He's got a, he's, he can sniff him out. But um, Tommy made a few almost breaks and stuff. Like he, he had some chances that just didn't quite happen because the rest of the team just weren't offering anything. I've got a lot of concerns about Manly this year if Dez can't. Basically, if Manassi Finu doesn't come back, then maybe my prediction of second place and grand final win is not looking so great. I wouldn't change my mm. prediction for them because, you know, it's manly. If and, I was and again, you're, you're a very, very stubborn man, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, I wouldn't ex- I would expect nothing less. You've got to stick and go down with the ship, even if you're wrong. Um, big shout out to the Costa Concordia accident. That's a weird shout out. Um, no, but look, for me, it, it was a, a dominant display. And, and no offence, Mario, but um, they actually manhandled the Eagles. Uh, that's the way it looked. They, the same way an escaped elephant would uh, his evil tie master. You were literally stomped out of the contest. But look, we're actually going to move to a new regular statement. Now, I know that seems like a tautology because it's new and it can't be regular just yet. But I'm going to call it that anyway. Um, it's basically where the three of us will name who we thought the hero of the round was, who we think should get the chop from the NRL, and who was the best-performed team of the round. Look, I'll probably start uh, with my hero. For me, and this this really pains me to say it, but for me, it was Dane Gagai, uh, who was clearly responding to our crawling back through the doggy door joke from last week. He didn't like it. Um, I thought he was sensational. He stood up a hapless Billy Smith about five times. He came up with absolute fresh air. It was like watching... Mike Tyson, go at it with Betty White. It was a complete mismatch. Um, I might start with you, Xander, though. Who was your hero of the round? It was actually Sean O'Sullivan just in that um, uh, in the uh, the Panthers game, just because given this, the circumstances, I thought he just really stood up, and it was, as you said, it was a statement game. Um, so I was just very impressed with that, and I just loathe to give Greg Gagai any credit because of the time he spent in both the Maroon and South Sydney jersey. Well, for me, the, the standouts, I mean, was the Dragons. They came so close to beating the Broncos. They they almost deserved to beat them, which was something that's almost never happened before. Um, and I did mention Emma Tonegato last week. She was a big standout, but uh, Talia Fuimaono, terribly said by me then, she was really, really good playing 5-8. I, I loved watching her play. She looked strong. If you're forcing me to pick a player from the men's, Gagai was on my list, except that I think he was... He was. You know what happened? What pisses me off is he didn't even get a single Dally M points. Ponga got two points. I've raged, raged about the Dally M's before. During the commentary, Cooper Cronk um, said that, oh, it's nice to see the Knights can put a performance like this without Ponga playing well, and then Ponga somehow gets two points. It's just absolute obligatory. He has to get points, but that's the opposite of what you were asking me for. (laughs) So uh, Clifford was the guy that I thought was the standout deserving of the the three Dally M points in that game and one of the absolute standouts of the round. Yeah, no, look, it's a good point. I thought he played really well as uh, as well. And uh, to your point about Ponga, you couldn't be more right. I mean, he actually, by his standards, had a, a quiet involvement. And it was the rest of the team that was really standing up, which is actually good signs for the Newcastle Knights. Um, and it's not surprising, Xander, that Cooper Cronk was right on the money, that astute tricolours number seven. I don't know who he played for before us. Don't really care. Look, we're going to move on to who who should get the chop from the NRL. Um, I might start on this one. For me, I have to say it's Connor Watson. Uh, he was extremely off the pace. have to stick with the same game here. He was extremely off the pace. Um, he needs to relearn the rooster system before he even dares to touch a jersey again. Until then, he needs to make like a sleazy businessman at a strip club 
and look, but don't touch. That's just my view. Uh, we're going to start with you, Xander. Who should get the chop from the game after round one? Well, I was actually uh, going to say Billy Smith, just because the number of times he got stood up. Um, again, uh, rubbishing my prediction from last week that he was going to have a great year. It just It just looked like he needs a little bit more time, or almost, um, I don't know, playing lower grades or something. It was just, yeah, it was many against boy stuff. Mm, yeah, i got to say, I didn't see Billy Smith's poor performance like that coming. He's only shown... He's only had a limited number of games, obviously, but what he has shown has actually been quite mm. strong up until then. But I guess he is up against the wily veteran in Gagai who was having a blinder. Um, what about you, Mario? Who should get the chop? Oh, I'm Billy Smith. Maybe if he spent less time playing with his hair and more time on his footy, he might actually be a quality first grader because he, he's got some impressive head of hair that stands up in position no matter what happens, no matter how much. Many times he gets, you know, put in Gagai's pocket and never got a hair out of place. Yeah, this sounds, a, this sounds a little bit personal with you, uh, Mario, I must say, just because we both know, um, Eamon and I, that you don't have a hair, a hair on your head. So is there some jealousy here? And I definitely by choice <laughs> that I don't have a hair on my head. It's just a fashion thing, you know. I'll have to make it entirely about my own team. And if I'm just going to pick one player, it's really close. There's three at Manly that I think showed that they just don't belong. and and but it's it's got to be Brad Parker. He offers nothing. He gets the ball. It's never going anywhere. Nothing good is happening with Brad Parker there. He can make a tackle okay, but that's about it. He offers zero in attack, absolutely zero. He's he's never really been a particularly you know first grade standard prop player, but he managed to get the job done while. Garrick and Tommy, you know, were there sort of surrounding him and feeding him and doing all the great things. But on a day where that's not happening, he just looks absolutely fish out of water. Mario, I happen to remember, I feel like on a previous show, uh, when we're referencing Brad Parker, you said he might have even been a bolter for Origin at one stage. So this is quite a fall from grace. Okay, well, that was definitely me just um, going with the Screaming Eagles line of pretending that Brad Parker is actually good. It's a thing that Ben from Screaming Eagles does a lot, and I went along with it for a bit of fun, but uh, he sucks. Fair enough. How dare you pollute our podcast with that kind of satire? That's not what we're about here, mate, at TVT. But look, on on Brad Parker, though, I, I mean... I actually like the guy. I know he runs he runs some good lines, but I, I hear you in terms of him getting absolutely pummeled and drilled because he runs the ball so high, doesn't he? Seems to run higher than anyone else. He's like a clay pigeon. Yeah, which is weird because Tommy's taller than him and he definitely seems to run high, but he, he, he's got a fend and stuff. I, I don't think Brad Parker has the ability to fend people. He just sort no. of runs in a straight line into somebody and once in a blue moon, they'll bounce off. But mostly, there's no deception so that, yeah. you know, you're just going to be able to wrap him up. I mean, it's like that really good tackle Gutho did on Fafita the other day. But, you know, when you're the size of Fafita, you can you can run like that and get away with it. You can't when you're Brad Parker. Yeah, you're right. He never throws a step in or he never throws a dummy or a fend. Um, yeah, he does seem quite defenceless to me. But look, we're going to move on to our best team performance. And I know I mentioned at the top of the show, I can't go past the Panthers. Okay, an honourable mention to the Wooden Spoon favourites, the Newcastle Knights. But mm-hmm. for mainly, it was the Penrith Panthers. Uh, as I said, they sent a warning shot out to the rest of the competition that they're going to defend this crown with everything they've got. And I think they've truly dispelled that myth already. 
Uh, Xander, we're going to go to you. Which team performed best in your eyes? Uh, so I agree with you. The Panthers was, was an incredible performance, but I'm actually going to say the Storm um, just because I thought they overcame more. Are you sure they were playing? They were, targets? but they were, they were trailing at the break. Uh, they'd had key players go down during that game and they still managed to come home with a fairly, a pretty convincing victory, you know? Um, Bellamy's now, I think, what, 19 from 19 opening season games, which is just an incredible oh. stat. Yeah, so um, impressive. And, yep. you know, it looked like I think a lot of people, I, I was watching that game and thinking, you know, my, my prediction of the Tigers actually might come true. All signs looked pretty positive <laughs> that they might cause a big upset and boil over finally. You know, them them managing to ice that game and, and close it out, like it showed a, a lot of composure. Um, like I, I could only wish that we'd shown the same sort of resolve when, when we lost uh, Radley and they were behind at the break after everything was going against us at the, at the Knights. Yeah, look, I was watching that game very closely, Xander, and I saw this in the 65th minute. The Tigers did get in a huddle. Uh, to try and psych themselves up initially. But at one point, someone said, oh, shit, we're the targets. We could lose this. Um, and it became a sort of very depressing, sort of self-fulfilling prophecy as they all told sad stories about how they'd previously lost a lot of tight games. And a uh, big shout-out to Jackson Hastings, who I'm sure will lose a lot of his resolve throughout the season. <laughs> Mario, what about you? Best-performed team? Oh, I, I have to answer Xander's point slightly, though. Um, saying that the Storm overcame adversity is a bit of a joke, in my opinion, when they were overcoming the favourite for the wooden spoon. And they overcame that favourite thanks to a shoddy refereeing decision when the Tigers were in attack, which gave the Storm the ball for them to run upfield and score off a forward pass. Like, come on. Hmm. The, the Storm, who've never lost a game in round one in about a 1,000 years, to barely overcome that team is about one of the least impressive performances of the round, definitely not the most. Um, because, because Mario, I'm, look, I don't have to interject here. This is exactly why they call you media hashtag rest fault. Watch Mario. <laughs> well, if we're gonna if we're gonna point out about because I do like to correct people, I'd also like to point out, Eamon, that, that you said a tautology. <laughs> here we go. It was not a tautology. It was a contradiction. It was definitely the opposite of a tautology <laughs> what you mentioned before. Um, in terms of a team that, <laughs> that's me. Yes, I'm well known for it. Um, in terms of the best performance of the round, because you've already said the Panthers, who I think probably were the standout, I'm going to say the Broncos. I think they never really looked um, too troubled by Souths at all. I mean, Souths definitely looked off their game, but a lot of that was because Brisbane just kept doing the right things, not handing over the ball in the wrong places and, uh, you know, some decent kicks despite missing, some, you know, the best, maybe the best kicking halfback in the game. They just, with these pretty average players in a couple of positions there. Albert Kelly, the, the world's slowest runaway try just about, reminded me of <laughs> one last year. But oh, And it's got to say, though, Alex Johnson, good player. But did you see his chase for that try? Like, Brisbane could pretty have won that cluster. game by two points, and you would have been able to put that down to Alex Johnson putting in a very slow jog to let Albert Kelly just run in under the post to get an easy conversion. I'd looked at that and I thought that is just a guy who's just checked out for the game already. It was really quite bad to see because I quite like Alex Johnson. I've you know, enjoyed watching him do his little grab and Darius Boy style fall over tries to be top, top try scorer every year on the back of Cody Walker being the best left side attack in the, in the game. But anyway, yeah, so Brisbane was my answer. Yeah, I like it, Mario. And as you said, I think for my two cents, all you saw there with Alex Johnson was someone who knew he was playing for a team that was going to miss the top eight. 
let me just have another slurp here. Ah, that's for you, South fans. Look, we're going to move into our first segment, um, and it involves Jason Taumalolo. Now, the man the Cowboys fans imaginatively refer to as JT, who replaced the former best player up there, also known as JT, is apparently on the outs of the coach, Todd Payton. After ruffling the big forwards' feathers in round one last year, the relationship has looked more strained than Paul Gallon's face would, trying to complete a particularly tough wordle. JT has failed to recapture his pre-Payton form, in my view, and is clearly getting fewer minutes than he would like. This has led to the speculation from a few sources that he might be looking to jump ship before his 56-year contract is up. The question that we're asking on the show today is, should JT make the move sooner rather than later and pull the trigger on the switch this season? I'm going to start with you, Mario. I mean, I think the big problem is he's on a rather large contract, and how many teams are going to have a million dollars in their salary cap to pay for? And probably only the Roosters would have that much to spare. Yeah, we've still got a few mil. Um, let me just check. I've got this direct line to Nick. Yeah, we've still got 17 million, which is pretty impressive. So, yeah, we'll squeeze <laughs> the, the problem, of course, is that and we don't it, actually, you know, we don't we don't pay overs for shit players like other clubs. That's kind of, you know, our secret is we don't, we don't buy players who are over the hill. It's not the 90s anymore. That was our old trick. We might pay him, you know, 100 grand a year um, if he's if he's interested in coming along. But uh, I don't think he'll be getting a million out of the Roosters at this point. Uh, maybe Canterbury. And six free Bentleys. It's so true. It's, it's about 100k cash, and then we'll chat about some assets. That's kind of how it works over at Bondi. But when I say assets, I mean just, you know, good mental tuition, um, some, maybe some business classes. Um, Mitchell Orbison will be a friend for life. They're non-tangible assets, um, things that you can't sort of measure in dollars and cents, Mario. That's what yeah, we're all about get, at the East. Get Tony Sunday. Robbins in to smile at them with his big teeth. <laughs> oh, that guy creeps me He out. looks like Let's he'd make a good him. front row forward, um, though. That that jaw and, uh, I think, what is he, like 6'5"? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think he's so. about seven one. <laughs> yeah, he seems to have some kind of pituitary gland problem. Everything seems a bit overgrown. Just my opinion. I know that was a bit of a showstopper. Um, look, I want to know this. To go back uh, to what we are talking about, Zander, um, what do you think is at the heart of this dispute between the coach and the player in this instance? Because clearly there is some ill will there, uh, judging by the way Todd Payton talks about it and the lack of talk from JT. Um, we all know that he was publicly chastised round one last year. Didn't seem to go down too well with JT or some of the playing group. That, that might have been the initial start, but why do you think that this dispute, dispute has sort of continued, if indeed it has? Yeah, look, I mean, it's hard to say. Obviously, he's not performing at the level of a, a million-dollar player. Yeah, I think he's still uh, putting in more than, say, Anthony Milford was at the Broncos when he was on over a million dollars a year. Um, but because he's a... Mm. That's not <laughs> hard, though, right? Because Anthony Milford barely put on his pants. Yeah, quite. That's how little little amounts of effort. He and put in. the the problem with a with a front rower like him is he doesn't play you know, the full game anyway. Um, and I think it's probably you know when you're not putting in and you're not playing the full game, pretty quickly builds resentment. Um, usually within the playing group, but I mean it looks at this moment to also be from the coaching staff who who are now different to the the ones that mm. wanted to sign him. Um, so yeah, I mean, it could have been something in the off season. I, I have a sneaking suspicion that probably flared up and it didn't get like you would, you would think these things would be resolved, uh, in the off season, but it clearly hasn't. Well, Mario, that's part of the problem, isn't it? That, uh, you know, Jason Tambalolo, I think has made it pretty clear that it's, he wants more minutes and he's not getting them. I think that is part of the contention. I mean, people are going on like Jason Tambalolo's playing terribly. The guy still averages, 
averaged like 140 metres a game last year in his worst season ever. He did, I think, 160 in a losing team the other night in only 50 minutes. The guy is still elite, and I don't understand. Peyton is he's just maybe not a good coach, and the whole good guy, bro vibe that they had going at the Warriors when they were you know dealing with COVID for the first time that kept them together and stuff that he had going, maybe that's all he's got. Yeah, I mean, he was well-liked over at the Warriors, and he does seem to have maybe lost some of the playing group here. And I don't think it's even in dispute that JT is necessarily playing poorly. I think it's more about the the murmurs about him wanting to jump ship. Now, obviously, if he's playing great football and he's content, um, those kind of reports probably wouldn't be around, and it's not as though um, he's rushing out to deny those. I, I think, you know, from Peyton's perspective, what he was trying to do, and I think there's a difference between what he was trying to do and what... He actually executed, but I think what he was trying to do might make a bit of sense, which was to make the Cowboys less Taumalolo dependent. And I think he's right to do that because obviously playing a rough and tumble game like rugby league and the style that JT played, that's a that's a lot of it's gonna take a toll on your body at some point. And if you've got a ten year contract, I mean that could be a lot of your cap sitting on the sidelines if he gets injured or if he gets busted or he's carrying injury. Um, so perhaps he's just gone about this the wrong way. He might have had the right idea, which was to make sure that the Cowboys rely on him less. Uh, but in doing so, with his blunt sort of sledgehammer style, he's actually offended him. I don't know look, if anyone look, else agrees I'm going to enjoy him being at Manly next year since um, Marty Tapao's being offered around and he's been on about 600k for us. We'll get Tao Malolo for about 600k as a stra- you know straight replacement for Marty with the Cowboys paying the other 400 or so per year. and. Everyone wins. They're happy and we're happy. I'm I'm good with that. Are you, are you happy with Tapao leaving? I thought you were a big fan. Oh, I'm a, I, I like Marty Tapao. I think he's a great bloke and all that sort of stuff. And he's been a decent player for us. But he's, you know, he's not. He's seen better days, and he's getting towards the end of his career. Tao Malolo still got a few good years left in him. On the other hand, and he would certainly be a very nice replacement, assuming we can find a way to afford him. Yeah, I've got to say, that'd be a hell of a trade for you guys. It'd be like giving someone a Rolex watch and then giving you back a bag of poo. Um, it doesn't quite seem like a fair swap for me. Um, Xander, how do you feel about uh, the idea of JT leaving the, the club when I think so many people had the idea of him being a one-club player? Um, he sort of struck me as that guy that would always be a cowboy, um, but it gets a, real, a very real possibility of him actually jumping ship. Um, in fact, he's so, with the fans up there as well, that he's very, very popular um, up in Townsville. So much so that they've actually enacted the ancient law of prima nocta. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. JT is actually allowed to have access to every wife uh, on her first night of marriage. That's how much the fans love him and are prepared to sacrifice. Um, I think it would cause real ructions up there, Xander, if he ever left. Uh, with 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 the wives that weren't going to get any. <laughs> no, look, I mean, I... I yeah, I'm... well... It, There'd be far less venereal <laughs> disease, but I think there'd be, allegedly, a, there'd be a lot less allegedly. happy. To be honest, I never really, I never entirely saw him as a as as highly likely to be a one club player, even with the, like I always had question marks about that that ten uh, year deal. I mean, a ten year deal for uh, a forward, um, you know, it's it's unprecedented for a reason. So I, I had mm. questions about that. I mean, I know he was part of that core group that was successful. Um, in the uh, in the club's glory years with the other GT. Um, but uh, you know, he also represented New Zealand and Tonga. He's not exactly like you know, born and bred of 
uh, North Queensland. So I, I always saw him as a potential, perhaps go yeah. and play in New Zealand or somewhere else, in all honesty. Look, I think Xander actually raises a really good point there, Mario, in that we have seen 10-year contracts, but not too many for forwards. Um, I would It would strike me as, as poor logic um, to invest a decade in someone's body that has to go through the rigours uh, of, of the kind of punishment we're talking about. And I guess in NRL terms, 10 years is more like the time it would take Scott Morrison to react to a national tragedy. It's more like 22 or 23 years. Now, JT's an amazing player, obviously, um, but you'd have to consider that a forward like that, eventually his body will give out. Do you see the logic in that, that 10 years is, is too long? And second question, do you think the 10-year contract is a dead concept on the back of the Tomalolo experience? Um, look... I think a 10-year deal can be okay for a forward if you're talking someone with obvious promise and quite young like Payne Haas, you know, starting out at 18 or 19. If you kill it for a year, you think, okay, let's take the chance with a deal that, you know, obviously can keep increasing based on performance and stuff like that because you don't want to be ripping them off or they're just going to pull a Ryan Madison and, and fuck off in no time. Um, but... What, I think Taumalolo was already 22 or something when that deal was signed. He'd already had a few years. Um, so how many forwards have ever been great past 30? It's very, very few. Um, so it was always going to be a deal that was going to be hard to maintain towards the end. And mind you, that's bad luck for the Cowboys. They signed that deal. As far as I, you know, he if he wants to go and he can get good money elsewhere, good luck to him. Um, and then, and they, but they should definitely have to pay some freight for that if he's, if they think he's not performing to that million dollar level anymore. But they always knew that was a chance by signing such a long deal. So absolutely no yeah. sympathy for the Cowboys as far as I'm concerned. Not when they've got bigger issues in the club, such as paying similar money to Chad Townsend and um, Val Holmes. I actually remember the Rugby League world being pretty critical of the Cowboys when they signed that 10-year deal. And I also remember most of the rugby league world within two seasons had sort of done a 180 on it and went, I guess he's a freak because he went on to have many, many good seasons in a row before having his first real slump. And as you said, Marianne, I think quite rightly, we use the word slump in inverted commas because it's a slump by his standards. It's not as though he's playing bad footy. Um, He's just not necessarily you know, playing the footy that he has been in the past and he doesn't seem happy. I think that's the bigger issue. Um, under Todd Payton. Yeah, exactly. When it comes to other clubs, look, I can actually see the the Storm maybe hunting him for next year. Um, I know they've got a number of their big forwards leaving. Uh, A couple of them, the Bromwiches, are going up to the Dolphins, for example. I don't think Nelson will necessarily be there. Um, They've lost for Nukin. You know, they're probably in need for another big body. And I could see him wearing a a Melbourne jersey, to be completely honest. I can visualise it. I do wonder if... You know, he could make that switch next year. Xander, would you see it have been a possibility of him going south of the border and completely skipping New South Wales? He'd be, he'd be sort of still keeping to the Queensland system, right, um, <laughs> by playing for the, mm. uh, the Storm. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't think the Storm would go after him unless he was, unless he was willing to go for significantly less because um, I just don't think that, you know, Melbourne Melbourne's uh, recruitment policy um, tends to be more uh, picking players that are underappreciated and their value isn't quite, you know, or, and on on uh, on metrics and value that that um, other clubs haven't been able to spot. Um, I think Talmalolo. Mm, that's a good point, actually. That is sort of in their DNA, isn't it? They don't often go for big yeah, scouts. Yeah, and, 
He's also too old. He's also too old to teach, you know, the subtle art of cannonball tackles too. He's never done one of those in his life. When you look at Lindsay Collins the other day, was an absolute classic cannonball the week after he's done another one. But of course, Bellamy with his very good coaching just pointed out, well, there's no carryover points anymore. So just do the same thing again. You'll only get a fine. No problems. To wrap up on this, how do we feel about Todd Payton as a coach? Um, i got to say, I'm the jury's out. For me, I actually don't know how I feel about the uh, more built Lex Luthor up there at Townsville um, because obviously he did have that early uh, purple spike, as you said, uh, Mario, over at the Warriors. He seemed very respected by the playing group, managed to take over. It was a, a bit of a rough decision probably to, to sack Kearney in the circumstances they did, but when he stepped in, people seemed to support it and like it and they, they seemed to play a better brand under him. But ever since he's gone to the Cowboys, I haven't liked what I've seen, and he's also having personality issues. So I am a little bit wary, but where do you fellas see Todd as a coach? It's very early in his career too, obviously. I mean, I think he basically, on evidence, he sucks. But that being said, Ricky Stewart sucked for quite a few years there, and then he came back and almost won a grand final in 2019. So coaches can turn it around. They can have good years and bad years. Even your coach, of course, you know, you guys came second last one season, and Obviously, that was a very strange blip amidst, uh, you know, so much success. But it can happen. But he's not Tell exactly. Us more. He's not exactly a coach that has earned the. He doesn't have the runs on the board to get that many chances like someone like Ricky or Robbo or Des or whoever can have. You know, you can have a bad year when you've had all that success. You can't get away with it when you've done, you know, ten fifths of fuck all. <laughs> Do you agree with that assessment, Xander? Yeah, look, I, actually, for one, of the, one of the rare times I do agree with Murray, I think he's bang on there. I mean, it's just, yeah, there's, there's not an awful lot to go in there, really. And look, to to run to the defence of Ricky Stewart, which I never do, uh, just remember he was a premiership winning coach in his first year uh, with the Mighty Roosters in 2002. We shouldn't forget that. Still slightly concerning uh, when you're resting on an achievement that was so long ago there, were, uh, there are players who were not even born when it happened yet. Yeah, that's right. Back in 2002, Mario had long flowing chestnut locks. Yeah, you know, it has been a little while. Well, that is actually true. But you're also describing <laughs> the coach of my NBA team as well. He won a title a thousand years ago and has been utterly shot ever since. So, Look, we did actually put this out to Twitter too, boys. We asked, should Jason Tamalolo leave the Cowboys for another club? And I have to say, I was a little bit shocked about this. Uh, close to 80% said yes, until I, I realised that the majority of people voting in that poll probably just want Jason to go to their club. So it could just yep. be self-interest. Xander, does that uh, result shock you at all? Um, yeah, a little bit, to be honest. I, would, I wouldn't have thought uh, that that many people uh, were keen to see him go. I mean, because there are, I would have assumed there was a lot of people who were fairly romantic about the one club player notion that you put forward before, even if I myself were sceptical of it. Um, 80% is a lot. Um, I actually half suspected mm. that most of them were Mario, to be honest. But Just using one of his <laughs> yes. burner accounts as per usual. Look, there were a few comments under here as well. Once uh, One user said, yes, Roosters are the only cub with cap space, though. Thank you for that, Giannis. Uh, and, of course, we also had someone else say uh, the Cowboys should probably just sack Todd instead. That was Jordan Zeraldis, which is something that we've already mentioned. Potentially, the problem is not with Jason. It's with Todd. And look, for what it's worth, gents, I think Todd and Jason should just settle this like the ancient Welsh people used to, which is to fight each other naked in a mud bog, armed only with a small child as a warhammer. Whoever wins can lead the Cowboys while the other needs to walk into the sea and never return.
Well, welcome back. Look what the Melbourne Storm's challenge for Premiership glory has taken a hit heavier than a Gina Reinhardt bomb from a swimming pool's high dive board. Three players sustained mid to long term injuries in one match with Brandon Smith out with a broken hand, Christian Welch doing an, an Achilles and uh, George Jennings has gone for the season with an ACL. I guess that's in the plus column. Key players like the Fox, Hines and Finucane already departing the club boys. We're asking, is 2022 the year we finally see the lightning disappear from the storm cloud? I'm going to start with you, Mario. Uh, the answer is no. I want it to be yes. You know I want the answer to be yes. But of course they're not going to struggle. They're, they'll just keep on doing what they do. They're, they're, most key players they've got in the right position still. George Jennings, as you pointed out, is no great loss apart from they don't have huge depth out there. But... I mean, Nick Meany hasn't even made the 17 this week. What the hell's going on there? But um, I was going to ask you about that because last uh, episode you were singing his praises and now they're in the, the depths of an injury crisis and he still hasn't made the squad. Well, he was in it last week and I thought he played okay. Like he didn't get, he didn't have that much involvement, but he looked okay when he had the ball. It's strange. You wouldn't just put him into that position, but you know, mm. I'm sure Bellamy knows what he's doing. He's showed over the years that he certainly does know what he's doing, you know. In terms of Brandon Smith, well, Harry's back next week. Cam Munster's back next week. You know, Brandon Smith is a great player, but he does look replaceable with what they've got. If they have a few more key injuries, then they might start to get in trouble. But at the moment, no, I don't see them as being particularly weak, and they still should be one of the top top few teams in the comp. Xander Mario raises a number of good points there. I, I tend to concur with most of them. Look, they, it's the depth at the club, isn't it? I think they've got two feeder teams from the Queensland Cup, um, and they always seem to have someone who comes in that I've never heard of and does a remarkably good job straight up, um, something you're actually alluding to in the last episode. Look, I'm, I'm sure he's already hooking up the AI wires into the testicles of each player to determine the best strategy moving forward, but how do you see that in terms of their performance this year? Do you think it'll be enough to derail their season? Well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I kind of alluded to it before, but yeah, the short answer is no. I mean, as you said, they they, they do seem to have a very deep well of talent. Um, somewhat pleased that uh, Brandon Smith broke his hand so he can, you know, uh, avoid any more serious longer-term injuries before he comes to join us, hopefully. Um, you self-interested boob. They're a team built on systems more than they are single players. And so I just, I think that uh, exactly as you guys have said, you, they'll slot in somebody that no one's ever heard of before that's been playing, you know, this or that team in Queensland Cup, but somehow just tears it up in first grade. And uh, there'll be origin talk about them before you know it. So, uh, yeah, I expect them to continue winning. Xander, is it possible that the Storm are just trying to emulate the Roosters so much that they're now trying to copy the injury crises of the last two they're years? Trying to, they're trying to rub our noses in, aren't they? They're going to they're gonna, um, uh, have a worse injury crisis than us and then just try and do better than us to prove a point. I actually quite like the look of that Tyron Wishart as well. He made a few good darts in round one, seems to have decent service from dummy half. And, of course, he is the son of the great Rod Wishart, uh, my favourite winger before B-Moles. Um, are there any young players to keep an eye on as they dig deep, Mario, that you're aware of? No, I'm not. He would have been the name I would have said until I saw him last week and he sucked. So I'm not sure what you were watching. He was terrible. He oh, okay. hold, he what what do you put the, that down to? He couldn't hold the ball. He looked terrified of doing... like every, he, he looked enthusiastic. I liked that about him. He looked very keen. Yeah, of, he had good energy. Yeah, he did. And I think that'll put him in good standings for future games, assuming he continues to get chances. If he keeps you know, having hands like Fingers Ferguson at his worst, then he's not going to last long. 
Well, you know, you say that, but Fergo lasted a good decade and he couldn't catch a ball for love nor money. Yeah, but I said uh, he well, had his worst. <laughs> okay, fair enough. What he can catch is a good conviction, can't he? Jeez, he seems to get a criminal conviction no matter what land he's in. Is he out of that Japanese prison yet? I hope not. Xander, um, I actually heard a, a report uh, this today, actually, that um, Melbourne Storm are chasing Tariq Sims. There seems to be some credibility to it, according to Danny Widler, who said that He's virtually got a contract sewn up in 2023, but there's some murmurs that he might actually go there early. And as we know, Tariq is on the nose at St George. They don't seem to want him, which is kind of puzzling to me. But I'm sure it's all the you know the method and the madness of Hook's playbook. Can you see Tariq Sims going to the Storm? Now, first of all, is it Tariq Sims? Because I've always pronounced it Tariq Sims, and all the commentators do as well. Is this, is this something we've all been getting wrong? Um, I think so, mate. I've been looking at the um, the cultural spellings uh, ever since our episode of Mario a few weeks ago. And, um, yeah, and in fact, it's not Sims. It's pronounced Hershey. Um, that's one for the for the listeners. So the next time you go, it's uh, it's Tariq Hershey, everybody. Uh, tell your friends. And uh, if they tell you you're wrong, then just... Tell him to fuck off. Anyway, back to you, Zed. Yeah, look, to be honest, I would have thought he'd be in the Tao Malolo category. I wouldn't have thought that the Storm would be after him. Um, but, you know, he's not on a million bucks. So maybe he's he's the type of player that's lost his mojo that Melbourne think they can get something out of. Look, we also put this one out to our Twitter listeners, folks. And we asked them, has the run of injuries to the Melbourne Storm ruled them out of grand final contention? And unsurprisingly, 80% said no. Uh, I wish we had a fuck no option. If the Storm miss the eight this year, um, I'm, I'm so confident that they won't that I'll make this pledge on the podcast, Xander and Mario, that I will actually strip down naked. I'll smear my body with peanut butter and I'll dive in my neighbour's swimming pool. Now, I know I do that every Thursday anyway, but I'm still willing to commit to it because I don't know if you know this, but um, naked peanut butter swimming is very good for the paws. Welcome back. Now, uh, with so much anticipation about the Roosters this year, um, with you know so many people returning from a two-year hiatus, round one dealt a major reality check to the Chooks fans as the club was trounced by the pronounced wooden spoon favourites, the Newcastle Knights. Lethargy and a lack of cohesion proved fatal against Andrew Johns's coked-up <laughs> troops, who clearly wanted the win more and to score after the game a whole lot more too than the boys from Bondi. Today on the show, we're asking why were the Roosters so poor, even with all of their troops back? We might start with you, the dyed-in-the-wall Roosters fan, Xander. Yeah, look, I mean, it's something we did touch on before. The Roosters have been slow starters before. I can still remember us, what, in 2018, losing a very poor game to the Tigers early in the season. It might even have been round one. Um, yeah, round one. you know, a, a very poorly fancy tiger side uh, so we've had we've had a habit of you know putting out clunky you know and and indifferent performances early on and this kind of felt a bit like that i mean it didn't start too well with us i thought that obstruction call was a lot of bullshit to be honest um the uh the the try in the first 10 minutes um that should have uh should have gone to tedesco after tubo's break there was no obstruction there there's another classic example of there being no common sense shown to the obstruction rule um not sure it would have helped us, though. Well, Zander, you know, I mean, the, on on the back of that mistake, ultimately they went and scored first, and I do think that momentum matters in games. Um, and they scored two tries against the run of play, effectively out of that four, you know, tries to to one performance. To be honest, I, I'm kind of happy for them to have a really poor first hit out in their first week against a team that you know 
isn't terribly fancied because it, it gives them a reality check first up. I mean, they were, they were putting, you know, they, they were putting on some just unnecessary passes, trying to push the ball wide early. It was a, it was a game that they, they expected to win and they played like they expected to win it. And um, I think they kind of got what they deserved. Look, Mario, I think for me, especially when we were doing our forecast last week, uh, something I hadn't really factored in, it was just a miscalculation, I suppose, was I didn't really think about how long it had been since so many of these Roosters players had played an NRL match. And if you actually add up the number of players who had missed footy who were in this team, um, you know, it sort of ends up clocking up a few miles there. Uh, potentially that could be a reason, you think, as to why they were so sluggish? There was certainly a lot of... Um they were certainly clunky in a lot of ways, but I put that just more down to the fact that you said you were back to full strength, but you weren't. Who I think is one of the better hookers in the comp was still missing from your team in Verrill. That is true. Repl- yeah, replaced by a guy who had one of the worst games of his career in the most important <laughs> position in terms of getting everyone in your team clean ball, you know, moving forward and stuff. And your forwards were never getting clean ball Pretty much the whole game, you're lucky to get two good passes a set where they could actually run onto it. So you were mm. losing two, three, four meters of of momentum from each individual run, which was meaning you weren't getting good field position, which and you were never getting you know space for your halves to do anything. You, and so your halves just looked absolutely clueless because the forwards did nothing. And then you're also underestimating. We, we pointed out that Gagai, you know, put Billy Smith in his pocket and, you know, said, call me daddy. But Dom Young, I think, was actually pretty bloody awesome. This young player for the Knights, he was absolutely carving up every time he got the ball. He looked so dangerous. And you guys didn't really have an answer for that. You know, Tupo had one good run early in the game where I thought he was looking, you know, looking promising. But then he was really quiet after that. Just nothing gelled in your team. and. I put most of that down to, yeah, but I put that most of that down to Connor Watson, if I'm honest. And I think Connor Watson's a good player, so I think he will get better, and then the Roosters will get better. But obviously, when is Verrill's back? Because once he comes back, it's a huge difference. Uh, he's back next week. I think he's only out suspended. Uh, oh well, from that last year. sucks. You could have at least had him out against Manly. Screw you. <laughs> We're coming back angry too, <laughs> Mario. So watch out for should be an interesting match. Um, yeah, look, I, I agree with a lot of what you said there, um, especially when it comes down to, you know, cohesion. And I will doff my cap here to the Newcastle Knights, the raging hot wooden spoon favourites. Uh, they did show some damn good defence. I will have to hand it. had some steel and grit in their defence. Their line speed was really good. They were solid with the ball without being sensational. Um, they had a few individual standouts who were making breaks at will. But in terms of constructing tries, I think they've got a long way to go. But... Um, their defence was the thing that really impressed me. And against a lethargic Roosters team, I, like you, thought Connor Watson was particularly poor. Hopefully he will improve. Billy Smith shocked me with <laughs> how poor his defence was and how um, silly he was made to look by Dane Gagai. And I have to say, Angus Crichton was also a ghost, a, a second row who I respect and love a lot. Um, hardly got the ball, so I don't know what the deal was there. Um, look, Xander, I'm going to throw to you about the halves. Obviously, this is a new halves combination. Um, Sam Walker and Luke Keary. I think a lot of Roosters fans are salivating at the prospect of the two of these players coming together. Um, it almost seems like young meeting old here. They're both smallish in stature, but incredibly mm. skillful. Um, but potentially we were jumping the gun, though, with how good 
this would look from round one because they've never really played together before. They've barely trained together because Luke Keery's coming back from injuries and he's still short of a gallop as well. How do you see that combination clicking down the line? How long will it take before it does, if indeed it does at all? Yeah, well, I mean, going back to that 2018 comment again, it, it did take a, a good month or so for um, uh, for Kiri and Kronk to, to click. I, I will say that if there is one misgiving I have with um, Walker and Kiri as a half combination is to me they are very similar instinctive um, types of players. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I almost... Uh, like they've both got a good long ball on them. Um, they they do both like to play what's in front of them. I, I almost do wonder if, if if a slightly more solid structured player is a better fit for both of them, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but is there anyone in our squad who who meets that profile? Yeah, not really, right? Like so that's that's Don't, kind of I was going to say, if I you mean, said Hutch, I would have hung up on you. No, no, it's just, it's not Hutch. Um, <laughs> So I mean, Robinson. Robinson knows what he's doing. It does, to me, look as if you're you're, you're partnering two very similar types of players who are mm. both light bodies in a high contact game, and it just it does worry me a little bit. Look, I think you you raise a valid observation there, but only a little counter to that from what I'm hearing is that the Roosters are, um, are sort of playing around with this idea of the five man spine, and you're talking about the bigger body been in the creative role I think that's pretty much going to go to Victor Radley when he's there if he's mm. ever there and not there for his suspension or being concussed um, but he will essentially I think serve as a link man between the two I, I hope that uh, Walker and Keary can start combining directly they hardly passed to each other in round one they were sort of working a side each uh, I'd love to see them work together more I hope that's part of Robbo's plan going forward but um, I do think that he has, I think Robert has a similar thought to you. I think he realizes that they are, there's some similarities there, both in style and in, in their stature, um, and that Radley could be the key um, to actually breaking that up a little bit. Again, you are putting a few, quite a few eggs in one basket, though, because, you mm-hmm. know, especially with Radley, he's not often there the whole season. So that could be a problem. Um, look, Xander uh, mentioned before, Mario, about the Roosters being slow starters. I wanted to get your take on why do you think that is? Because it, it, it does seem to bear some fruit and truth over the last couple of years. Is this something that uh, Trent could be doing with intention or are we just really shit in the first third of the season? Uh, I mean, I haven't paid enough attention to the Roosters specifically in previous seasons to really have an input on that. I think everything I said you know, a moment ago is probably most valid for this particular year. I, I just think there's a, you know, as as we said, there's continuity issues, players haven't played together and that sort of stuff. And sometimes that gels and sometimes it doesn't. Maybe Robbo is just more of a, you know, um, a slow burn sort of coach who builds them up towards the end of the year. And some coaches like mm-hmm. Bellamy are more about just getting them absolutely crushing it from round one. Yep. And obviously another guy that comes to mind is Wayne Bennett, who is renowned for just sort of whipping up his team like a racehorse in the final straight. So I do wonder if Robbo's sort of potentially been influenced by the Bennett template when it comes to that. And I actually have heard him talk about it before, although he doesn't give every, he doesn't give all of his cards away. He sort of has insinuated that there was a change in his coaching style, I think around 2014, 15, around that time. No, it might have been 15, 16, actually, where he talked about, having the the right fuel in the tank at the right time of the year and i and i uh, i have a feeling his calculus is making sure that he's nurturing players to get to that final third of the season whether that means playing some older guys uh fewer minutes or and what we saw this year was 
hardly any of the senior players played in those trials, which was interesting that um, it was mainly our young guns who we'd never really seen before, the under 20s, etc. So I do, I do think maybe that might have something to do with it, the, the idea of um, just trying to time the season and get them playing their best footy at the end. I don't claim to know or be inside his head, but um, I do know that he's talked around that issue quite a bit um, over the last three or four years, and I think he's trying to sort of tinker in the workshop to get that timing right. So um, I'm happy for them to lose uh, to the very likely wooden spooners in round one if it means that we'll win a grand final at the end. So, fellas, I also did put... Um, this question out to our Twitter followers. I asked them what was driving the poor performance of the Roosters in the opening round. Now, the four options were the new halves combo. Was it a hangover from last year? Was it sheer complacency? Or the Knights, just a great team. And almost 50% went with complacency, Xander, which is something that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, well, I mean, it certainly looked like a complacent performance, didn't it? And like I said, uh, to me, what really summed it up um, was that moment of the intercept try near the, uh, in the second half where um, where uh, where Hargrave's pass went to ground and everyone just kind of looked at each other wondering what to do. Um, yeah, not not a team with a lot of urgency there at the time. Yeah, um, I, I also do think some, some of... Uh, Mario said that Tupo w- went a bit quiet. Um, I think that was probably being polite about it. There were a few players who just... Yeah, who were indifferent to be kind to them. Look, we did um, get a few comments. Again, thank you, Giannis, for chipping in so heartedly. Um, he said, the salary cap is simply too lopsided. We've got to get these struggling Cubs to at least compete. Thank you, Giannis. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> we've got something here from Keith from Cartwright. He said, losing Bradley and the Knights just out enthused them. I think the Roosters took the Knights lightly and didn't pay them enough respect, which I think has some credibility to it. Uh, there was also uh, something from Lord Sean Buchanan who said Kiri looked underdone, stunted Walker and Tedesco. They should start to click soon, though. I don't know if Kiri stunted them. That seems a, like a pretty unfair uh, and pointed accusation. And finally, Tiger Ed said paper brown bags, laugh emoji. Fuck you, Tiger Ed. Welcome back to The Voluntary Tackle. We're going to finish the show, guys, by going through our tips for round two. Now, we've got the team sheets in front of us. We've got Thursday night. It's actually a pretty damn good game. It's the Storm versus the Rabbitohs. Pretty interesting. Um, The Storm, they've made mass changes for the home side with Brandon Smith out, as we know. Christian Welch gone. Jennings gone. uh, But Munster, Harry Grant come back. We're going to start with you, Mario. How do you see this game going? Uh, South have never won in Melbourne, and that will continue. Yeah, I actually think the Storm will win as well. Xander, do you agree? Yeah, I think it should be a cracking game with, with Latrell coming back. But um, the only time Latrell has had success in Melbourne is playing for the Tricolours. And I agree with Mario that it won't uh, won't continue uh, for Souths. It's a big deal, though, isn't it? He is the the super variable when it comes to Souths. Because I've got to say, without him, I think they're Bob Hope's brother of making the top eight. <laughs> um, but when he's there, he's just got such aggression and such drive. He seems to have more drive the last couple of years than he's ever had. Um, I'm not sure what has brought that on, but um, I don't know. He's got a, a steeliness in his eyes uh, that says, I'm prepared to make as many illegal hits as I can to win this match. He could be the factor that actually lights that team up. Um, no doubt he'll play. I've got a feeling he'll play really well, um, but I don't think it'll be enough. Um, to the be lack of carryover point system will, is one thing that will help Latrell as much as anyone. 
Yeah, absolutely. Major beneficiary. Um, look, we're going to go to round two. It's uh, the Dragons versus the Panthers. Now, this is really going to test my top four hypothesis. Um, as much as I think that they'll have a good year, the Dragons, um, I have to say, given the way that the Panthers played in round one, I've got to lead the the way of the Panthers. Uh, we'll start with you, Xander. How do you see this one going? You can't go past the, the Panthers. You know, the Dragons, hard to read too much into the into their game. Uh, against the Warriors, to, in all honesty, and there's just so much class at, at Penrith. I don't see them overcoming them. Mario, there's still no Nathan Cleary. He's out for the first three weeks, but given how well Sean O'Sullivan played in round one, that may not be a problem for them. Well, Sean O'Sullivan's going to crash down, down to earth. He's actually not that great, and he's shown, had many chances to show it, but that system certainly protected him. Manly didn't do enough to pressure him. However, they'll still be good enough to beat the Dragons. I don't know. Is that Sour Grapes talking? I don't know. We'll leave that up to the discretion of the uh, the listeners. Um, also happening on Friday, and I think this is the grudge match of the round. Obviously, it is, especially here at TVT. The Roosters taking on the Seagulls at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Uh, the Roosters terribly lethargic in the in the first round, and so were the Manly Seagulls. Uh, Mario, could this be one of the most boring matches to take place this year given around one form, or will both teams turn it around and have a cracker? Probably even if both teams do suck like round one, they will still won't suck in a Cowboys-Bulldog style, and it would still be interesting. We've both got an actually a- attacking weapon, so even if the teams aren't playing well, there should be enough back and forth to make the game interesting. I, and for what it's worth, I don't think either team are going to play poorly. I think they're both going to be pretty good and actually show a lot more of what they can do. And I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing Manly get up. Xander, um, I noticed in the centres there, Billy Smith's marking up against Morgan Harper. That could be a battle of the two slowest lateral moving men of all time. <laughs> Where do you see this game going? <laughs> to, to be honest, I, um, you know, I, I really think we're going to have put in a, a much better performance, but that, um, that lack of cohesion, I think is going to, trouble us. I, uh, I'm actually tempted to, to, to back Manly in this one just because I think their spine is more cohesive. You know, uh, Four and Cherry Evans uh, and uh, obviously Turbo at the back in particular and Croker was was, was not too bad all things considered yeah. um, last week. Certainly, um, you know, with us still without... Do we we have Verrill's back this week? Um, and actually, I thought he was back, but they've named Connor Watson, so... Yeah, so I... I, I I have to say, I'm probably going to tip Manly for this one. I think they played a much tougher team and, um, you know, ended up with a similar result to us, but uh, probably have a bit more in them at this stage. Well, Xander, I thought I knew you. Um, From now on, of course, you will be Judas Iscariot, you traitorous mongrel (laughs) you. Uh, Look, I'm still going to lean with the Roosters, not with a whole lot of confidence, given the way that they played last week, but both teams put in a poor showing, and I'm sure uh, it'll be... A pretty renewed performance from both of them. I'm actually thinking this would be a good match. Um, I certainly hope so for the NRL's sake. Uh, we're going to move to Saturday. It's the Titans versus the Warriors. Now, uh, given the way the Titans played against Parramatta, um, you know, they probably should have won that game. I'm going to lean the way of the Titans. Uh, the Warriors were classic Warriors, really, in round one. They were rocks and diamonds. They put on some some good showing, and they also made some pretty blundering kind of errors. Uh, my only concern with the Titans is they were leaking a lot of points that both teams were, um, but sort of concerningly on their goal line, um, Parramatta were sort of, especially early in the match, getting over with ease. Um, we'll start with you, Mario. How do you see this one going? It's a tough one to tip. Uh, it, I don't, it should be the Titans by how much. However, the mm. Warriors have got a sneaky good record in the Gold Coast because they have a very 
big following there. It feels a bit like a home game usually when they when they are there. So I am gonna be ridiculous and go against what I what my head thinks and say that the Warriors are gonna somehow sneak this one in. It's more of a gamble knowing that Ash Taylor is wearing the number seven for the Warriors, which is gonna be um, a little bit of a concern. I didn't know that uh, Sean Johnson was out. Yeah, Did you four, guys know that? yeah, four weeks I think at the moment is the latest. Wow, that's going to be a blow. Um, even though he had a mixed bag game, he's the last couple of years I think. But Reese Walsh to... is back, and he will be. Like, Cht, I like him as a player. I think I mentioned that last week. I don't necessarily like him as a fullback. He's back in the halves with Ash Taylor. I think Ash Taylor's got a point to prove with Nick Arima being dropped to try and really step up. And Cht, both of them, you know, they there's a there's a spot to be to be one for these three guys all fighting over one number six jersey. And I think that'll make mm. them lift just that little bit with a, a vocal Gold Coast crowd behind them. Mm, he's making some good points there, Xander. How do you see this one going? I think the Titans will get up. Um, I do think that Reese Walsh is, uh, is obviously a, a, still a, an impressive young prospect, but I do think the Titans showed a lot of creativity and um, and spark against a, you know, a pretty solid um, Eels outfit on the weekend in a game that, as you say, they really should have won. Um, and they are playing at home. So, I, yeah, I tend to lean towards the Titans. Look, the, I think the next game on Saturday could be the game of the round. I'm really looking forward to this one. It's Sharks versus the Eels. Um, Sharks, you know, painfully unlucky, really, to to lose to the Raiders in round one, which was a, gr- a cracking match. Um, if anyone at home watched it, definitely go and check it out if you missed it. Uh, because the Raiders came out and played some really enterprising, innovative footy, a lot of offloads. Uh, the Sharks looked to almost have that game kind of in control for a little bit, but they just couldn't handle the offloads from the Raiders. And they and Raiders didn't make many mistakes. They played very aggressively. Um, I think for me, given how badly Parramatta leaked against the Titans last week, and I thought the Sharks defended pretty well, all things considered, I'm actually going to lean with the Sharks for this one. But how do you see it going, Mario? As a Manly fan, I want to tip the Sharks over the Eels, but I think the Sharks were pretty disappointing against the Raiders team that I don't think are actually that great this year. I don't think any of us did from memory, did we? Um, no, so... no. But I actually thought they put in a really good 80 minutes, though. I don't know if they'll be able to sustain that, but they were play- They played some pretty damn good footy in round one. Yeah, look, I think so too, but I don't think their attack is... Like Gold Coast have long been that sort of a team where they'll they'll lose a game, you know, forty or thirty-eight sort of score lines and stuff. So they've always been able to score points. Sharks are not that sort of a team, which I think plays more into the Eels' you know strengths. You know, their defense will work a little better against the Sharks than it did against the um, the Titans. No Fafita to have running at them, etc. So I think the Eels will get it done. Something around like twenty to ten. Ooh. Mario's prediction comes of a scoreline, Xander. What say you? Yeah, this is this is a tough one to pick in a lot of ways because um, you're right. I think the 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 Sharks actually were pretty good um, and probably should have taken that that game against uh, the Raiders after a uh, you know a, a poor start. Their defense is still solid, but I do suspect that. Fitzgibbon's systems will probably have a little bit, uh, take a little bit of time to to properly take root, and and the eels will just have a little bit too much firepower. Okay, so you're leaning with the eels. I tell yeah. you, um, someone I wanted to single out from last week for the sharks. I hope I get his name right. Siasifa Talakai, 
wow, he made an impact coming off the bench. I thought he had a tremendous um, first round. It'll be interesting to see if he can bring the same kind of fire into this match. I'm looking forward to seeing him knock out Ryan Madison. That'll be fun. We're going to move to the next game. It's the Cowboys versus the Raiders. It's up there at the Queensland Country Bank Stadium. Look, for me, um, I'm going to have to I have to tip the Raiders uh, based on the way they played. I thought they played some pretty damn good football. They shocked me. I don't know if they're able to be going, though, especially they're losing number sevens at a rate of knots. It's now Matt Frawley in the seven jersey. They might have a different person each week. But given the way the Cowboys played in round one, which was not particularly well, I'm going with the Raiders. Xander, we'll start with you. How do you see it? Yeah, it's hard to go past the Raiders for this one. I just think that um, the the Cowboys just, they were, they were very uninspiring, <laughs> to, put it, to put it politely. And uh, I... You know, I thought it was it was a good sign for, for Canberra that their first round uh, against a side that does show a lot of promise, they looked awfully close to, to, to kind of fall into their sort of faders reputation and they managed to pull out of the bag. So I, I, I think there's just going to be too much for the, for the Raiders um, and I don't know if there, there's enough fire firepower uh, in North Queensland, even playing at home. Mario, so much depends on Jack Whiten uh, for the Raiders, I've found. He looked very happy and excitable in round one, something we haven't seen probably for two years. Um, I didn't know he'd ever get his mojo back, but if round one is any guide, he he might do. Um, will that be a factor, and who will win this game? I mean, it's going to have to be for the Raiders because, as you said, you know, they're starting to, to struggle a little bit down there in terms of halves. Now, that being said, big Sam Williams truther. As long as he's starting and not Matt Frawley, then I'm all good. Raiders will have this in the bag comfortably. We're going to move along now to the Knights, um, our, our favourite wooden spooners. We'll start with you, Xander. How do you see it going? Tiger, uh, Tigers by 30, just out of spite. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Xander's driven by sheer spite, Mario. What about you? Oh, shout out to Budu Inu. I didn't realise he was one of the co-hosts on this on this show, Spy against <laughs> the Newcastle Knights. Love it. Um, I'm going to pick the Knights, but I think this is a very tight game. Could absolutely go either way. It really just depends mm. if the Tigers were up against an unusually bad storm or if they were actually good. I, got, I felt like watching them that they were actually pretty good, but the Knights looked more genuinely good, albeit against a team that was obviously playing bad. So it's really hard to get a read on, you know, where each team is. One round is not always enough, but I'll lean towards the Knights just because I think, you know, their halves are a little bit better. Although, actually, isn't Luke Brooks out? Uh, he's named. He's named. Oh, he is named. Because yeah. I did, yeah. for what it's worth, I'm a Jackson Hastings fan, have long been. I think he was quite good for the Tigers. He showed a lot of a lot of good bits, and I think that'll... He'll do that again, but not quite enough to overcome the Knights. Look, I agree with you actually there. I think this will be a very tight game, but it is difficult to read. I'm actually leaning with the Tigers as well. Xander, I'm with you. Uh, not so much because of how well the Tigers played in round one. I thought they had a they played solid footy against a very depleted Melbourne Storm. But I also think that uh, you know the form line for the Knights, I thought that they were just okay with the ball. And they'd won that game through their sheer grit in defence against a team that seemed to not want to be there. So based on that form line, I'm going to lean with the Tigers in a very tight game. I think it'll be under a tries difference between the two. Uh, we move to Sunday night. The Bulldogs again playing Sunday night, a full seven days rest. They're playing the Brisbane Broncos. Um, who would have thought we're looking at two teams that have won? They're coming off wins in round one. Uh, might start with you, Mario. How do you see this one going? 
Broncos by 30, and that's not for spite. That's just because Reynolds is back. I think Broncos look pretty good without him. They're going to look a whole lot better with him. The Bulldogs are absolute trash, as I've said multiple times on this podcast, that this season they're not going to be good. I mean, geez, Matt Burton can hoof that ball long, but that was about all they had as far as I'm concerned, and they were, you know, one very close um, refereeing decision away from losing to the worst team in the comp, the Bulldogs. <laughs> they've, they've got nothing. They suck. Broncos by 30. Well, some very decided opinions from Mario Zander. Um, he was right about Matt Burton, by the way. He put some of those bombs up, and I swear some snow came down on the footy for a couple of them. Um, and I don't think the fullback took too many of them uh, from memory either. That could cause some mayhem. Uh, on the other side of the ledger, look, they do get Adam Reynolds back, as Mario suggests, and um, their halves actually performed really well without him. Uh, Albert Kelly and, and Kevin Walters' kid, Billy Walters, who I actually thought showed some promise even when he was at the Tigers. Interestingly, they've gone with Kelly and Reynolds as the halves, and they've got uh, Billy Walters in the 17, which I think is a good idea to have him in the team. Um, for me, I'm actually going to lean an upset. I'm going to go the dogs in a thriller, uh, despite what Mario says. I think it'll be an, a really, it's a really intriguing lineup, actually, looking at these two sides. Xander, where do you see it? Yeah, I agree with Mario. I don't think there's going to be upset here. Um, I do think it's a good-looking side on paper for the Dogs, but um, there's a lot of new faces. Uh, it was it was a, you know a six-four scoreline um, in their their win against uh, the Cowboys. Mm. So I, I I think with Reynolds back um, and just the fact that they they beat you know I think a, a more fancied South side in the the first week Broncos to me just show a little bit more promise and. Um, yeah, I've got them as a top four finisher and I'm going to stick to my predictions with them yeah. and have them winning this game as well. Yeah, I have to admit, I am worried about this tip. I, <laughs> but I just have, I'm going to feel, I feel it in my waters and I'm just going to go with it even though I'm looking down the team sheets and I think, oh, could be in trouble here. Uh, special shout out to Selwyn Cobber, who I thought um, is making a tremendous impact early in his career. And I don't know if you guys saw, he, he could have scored four um, if he didn't have that sort of young petulance. He kind of just bombed them at the last second. He could have... It was um, certainly plenty of points around that young kid. He's going to be a sensation, I think. Um, look, that, I think, brings us to the end of our tips. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And before we wrap up, on a very sad note, uh, it's come to my attention that Kurt Baptiste has finally hung up his boots. Only 30 years old, but, of course, he seems uh, like he's played so much more and looks so much older than that. Uh, he played for the Broncos, the Raiders, the Roosters, the Cowboys... And like a jilted lover, he returned to the Raiders for another stint late in his career. So on behalf of the TVT, Kurt, we salute you, sir. Um, not so much for the NRL footy, of course, but more for your seven games for P&G that I was never aware you played until tonight. Uh, I looked it up on Wikipedia. Well done, Kurt. I hope you are Papua New Guinean, otherwise that's racially inappropriate. That's all from us, Tacklers. Thanks for joining us for another week. And again, if you could rate and comment on the pod wherever you're listening, that would be greatly appreciated. So until next time, just do what a mad Eels fan David Hunter would do and sleep with an actual eel every Thursday night to express his deep fandom for the club. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>